The other night, as Liz and I turned out the lights, we were about to drift off to sleep, we were startled by an alarm from her phone. And we looked at it, and it was an Amber Alert. Most of you are aware of Amber Alerts. You probably had that same experience. Amber Alert is a public service uh, announcement. Uh, when a child has been uh, taken or is in harm's way, to alert everyone to, to look out for this missing child. In fact, it's quite effective since July of this year, over 1,074 children have been recovered as a result of the Amber Alert technology. So it's a, it's a very useful tool. And of course, we were, we were kind of startled to, uh, to the alarm, but then when we saw what it was, it was a stark reminder of how conflict can very easily escalate and put people at risk. I want to talk today about conflict resolution. So let me start with a question. How, how, uh, how do you resolve conflict? What is your preferred style of conflict resolution? Uh, so in order to uh, dial this in, I want you to think specifically about a conflict you've had recently. Maybe it was this last week, maybe it's been an ongoing thing, maybe this weekend, maybe it was this morning coming to church, all right, you, was your latest conflict, all right, so get it in your mind, the latest conflict that you have, all right, you got it? Now, let me ask you some questions. How did you handle that conflict? Did you get upset and loud? Did you get quiet and push away? How did you handle it? Second question is, did you resolve the conflict? Did, is it it resolved in a healthy way. Here's a, here's a great question. What would you have done differently in that conflict if you could do it over again? You know, Jesus talked to us about conflict and how to resolve conflict in a healthy way, and yet that's something we struggle with. Conflict is a struggle, and the struggle is real. And, and quite honestly, conflict is a source of anxiety in your life, stress in your life, probably keeps you up at night. Uh, and, it, and it's that way for many people. This anticipation of a conflict or how do I resolve the conflict can be a tremendous source of stress. But if we're going to talk about life together and we're going to talk about living together, and in fact, our Connect Group lesson uh, today is about how to love one another. If we're going to love each other well, love cannot be sustained without resolving conflict because it's just going to happen. So how do we get better at resolving conflict. Well, Jesus is going to address it today in, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you open up with me to Matthew chapter 5, all right? Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Now, let me just kind of set this up. Uh, Jesus is preaching what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is probably the longest, most detailed sermon that we have recorded of Jesus and in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about how to live as a follower of Jesus in very practical things and in very practical ways. And the first issue, the very first issue he addresses is this issue of personal conflict and how do we resolve conflict. And Jesus really is going to give us a simple strategy for resolving conflict. Now let me just say, post a warning here. Just because he's giving us a simple strategy doesn't necessarily mean that it's an easy strategy, right? It's simple to understand, but many times difficult 
to actually do. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. But let me just say it's worth it. If you'll follow Jesus' plan, as difficult as it is, it is worth it. And it works, okay? And so we're thankful for that. So let's just jump right on into it now. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Oh, you can do better than that. If you're with me, say amen. There we go. This is the word of God. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now stop right there. Oz Guinness, the British author and social commentator, once said, contrast is the mother of clarity. I like that. Contrast is a mother of clarity. And that's really what Jesus is doing here. You're, he's going to start off with this formula. You have heard it said, but I say. He's going to repeat that multiple times through the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. What is he doing? He's contrasting what the rabbis taught to what he is teaching. Now, the rabbis started with the law, the Torah, the Word of God, but many times they expanded beyond what the law actually said. They called that building a fence around the law. They added multiple laws on their own to keep you from breaking the ones that were expressed by God. So that would be expanding uh, the, the influence of the law. Other times they minimized the law by only holding you to a physical standard and not a, a standard of the heart. And that's what he's going to deal with here. He's saying, you've heard it said to our ancestors this, but I say, Jesus is speaking in his authority as a son of God, and, and he is speaking not as a, just a teacher, but the divine son of God. You have heard it said, but I say. He's bringing contrast. Now look at it. Well, look at what he's saying. He said, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. That's verse 21. You know, a whole country has been enamored with and following the disappearance of Gabby Petito over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Gabby, uh, along with her fiance Brian, uh, left Florida and were traveling across the country, uh, posting online all their experiences. And her parents lost contact with her earlier this month. And then their worst fears were realized when her body was recovered somewhere close to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, her services today in New York City, and we pray for her parents as they go through this terrible loss. Brian, her fiancé, is still at large and is certainly a person of interest in this case. And when we look at that, we just think about how horrible murder really is. Did you know that in 2019 there were over 16,000 murders in the United States? 16,000. And the FBI sources are now telling us that they predict a 25% increase in that when they finally gathered the numbers for 2020. It is, a, it is a horrible experience. It is a horrible thing to murder someone. And yet, it was prominent in Jesus' day and it is prominent in our day. Murder goes all the way back to the beginning. The very first human crime was the crime of murder when Cain killed Abel in Genesis chapter 4. It finds its... Murder finds itself in the list of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. 
And then, of course, in the book of Numbers 35, under the law of Moses, murder was considered a capital offense. Why? Because you are taking a life of one who is shaped in the very image of God. So Jesus here is simply restating what they already knew. You've heard it said, thou shall not commit murder, shall not murder or you will be subject to judgment. And, and, of course, everyone would agree with Jesus, right? They're probably all nodding. Yes, we agree. We agree. Those murders are bad. We're good. We would never do that. So we agree that that's a bad thing. And then he says something that shocks them, that they did not expect. He said, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. But what? Yeah, Jesus is saying, listen, uh, murder doesn't just start as a physical act. Murder starts in the heart of a person. It's not just what you do on the outside that matters. It's also what is happening on the inside of you that matters uh, to God. God's not just concerned with the outer actions. He is also very much concerned with your inner attitude. And he's going to be talking about reconciliation. But I think uh, I want to just stop here for a minute and just give you kind of a, an idea to hang your thoughts on as we go through this message today. And that is simply this, that reconciliation starts in the heart. The reconciliation starts in the heart, but it's lived out in your actions. And if you really want to get to reconcilia reconciliation, you've got to start there with your own heart. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. This is what he's driving to right here. The religious leaders thought they were good. Man, I'm totally good. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't even assaulted anybody. I'm actually a good person. Yeah, okay, well, let's look down deep in your own heart. That's where the offense begins. So let's go back to your argument. Were you angry then when you had your argument? Are you still angry? Are you allowing anger to simmer and grow in your own heart? So Jesus is going to give us here a, a recipe for resolving conflict. He's going to give us a, a strategy for resolving conflict. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Paper out, pen out, write this first thought down. The first step is you've got to check your heart. Check your heart. Are you harboring bitterness in your heart towards someone? Is someone harboring bitterness in their heart toward you? Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said, For the, out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders. In other words, the action comes from within. It's not just an action in itself. It starts in the heart. And then he begins by kind of giving some examples here of what that looks like. Because they may say, well, you know, I really don't have any anger toward anybody. You know, I'm really, I'm still pretty good. And, and so he, he dives into a couple of illustrations. Check this out. In, in verse 22, he said, whoever insults his brother or sister is subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Now, some versions say uh, whoever says to his brother raka. All right, you see that in your version? It might say the word raka. If it does, lift up your hand so I can see how many versions I got out there. Yeah, word raka. You might look down at the footnote. It might tell you the word raka is an Aramaic term, which really we really don't know what it means. Uh, it, it certainly was an insulting term. It was a demeaning term. It was a derogatory term. It was a hateful term. Many think that it, it had to do with questioning someone's intelligence. So therefore, some versions say, if you insult your brother by saying you're stupid or, or you're, you're ignorant or you're an idiot, all right? So some versions kind of lean that direction. Whatever we know, it was an insulting term. And he said, yeah, you're going to answer for that. 
But then he says, if you say you fool, well, that's even worse. The word there, you fool, is maros, comes from the Greek word maros, which we get the word moron from, all right? And, but it's more than just like we would say, you moron, that would be kind of like uh, raka. It would be kind of our modern version of challenging their intellect. But really, when you called somebody a fool in the Old Testament, what you were saying is, uh, you are someone that's under the judgment of God. Under the judgment of God. And that's very, very serious. Why is Jesus talking about what we say to each other? Because he's saying that what comes out of the mouth starts in the heart, right? If you're saying these things with your mouth, then that means that you've got this animosity in your heart. If you're calling them out with your mouth, then you've got anger and bitterness in your heart. And that's the very issue he's talking about. It starts in the heart. And what you say really matters to God. And what you call people matters to God. When you insult someone, when you strip someone down verbally, when you call them out, when you let them have it, God's concerned with that. In fact, did you know in Matthew 12, 36, this is a scary verse. This will keep you up at night, Jesus said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So this is a warning. Jesus is like, hey, you got to be careful, man, what's in your heart. It's going to come bubbling out of your mouth, and that shows you what's there. James, in, in the New Testament, warns us the same way. In James 1.20, he said, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. In other words, you can't grow in righteousness. You can't become the person God wants you to be if you're an angry person. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 4.3. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. You're like, man, you got to get this out of your life. It's toxic to you. It is difficult. It is hardening. It is, it is, it is, it is corrosive in your life. you got to get it out. you got to get it out. you got to get rid of these things. So, this is a good so, uh, point to stop and to say, you know, how is your heart? Do you have anger in your heart? Is, is there a person that you, when you hear their name, your blood pressure goes up, your ears turn red, your hair starts to stand. If you had hair, uh, it would stand up on the top of your head. Is, is there someone that, that just your blood begins to boil, that you just have this, you remember every word they said, and you remember what they did to you, and you will never, ever, ever forget it. It's dangerous. That's where all this resides. It resides in here in your heart. And you'll never get to reconciliation doing that. You say, well, what do I do? Well, look at verse 23. I'm just reading you what Jesus said. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go, first go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So he's saying here, uh, look, if you're, if you're worshiping God and you remember that there's this unresolved conflict, you've got bitterness or hardness in your heart, you need to do something about it. And by the way, let me just hit the pause button here and say this. I think it's really interesting how Jesus ties our heart and our conflict with other people with our worship. Isn't it interesting how Jesus ties those two together? In other words, we tend to think that our conflict is pretty much always on a horizontal level. It's me against you. I have an issue with you. You have an issue with me. We've got this conflict here that, that is not right. But what we don't understand that it is also a vertical issue. And that if I am not living with you in peace, I cannot be fully at peace with God. 
James goes on to tell us, I mean, John goes on to tell us, 1 John, you know, how can you hate your brother and say you love God? You can't do that. And so if, if we have animosity here, if we have anger and, and resentment here, we can't be really right here. And so he says, while you're worshiping God and the Spirit of God reminds you you have this angst with somebody or someone has it with you, he said, you need to do something about it. So what do we do? So he tells us what to do. So the first step in resolving conflict is st start with your heart. Look at your heart. Uh, search your heart. Say, God, remove the anger and the hatred and the bitterness in my heart. God, I'll never get to a reconciliation without you first working in my heart before I can ever get to somebody else. But the second thing I got to do, jot this down, is you got to go to the person. You got to talk to the person. Step two is you got to talk to the person. Look at what he says in verse 24. First, go. Go to that person. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Go to them face to face, just between the two of you. This is super simple, right? Super hard to do. In fact, I've found uh, as long as I've been in ministry and just really as an adult, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. To actually go to someone that I have a conflict with and have a conversation is the thing I, I resist the most. And it's probably the thing that you resist the most. You know, I'm, I'm afraid it'll get, I'll make it worse. Uh, I don't, I'm afraid I'll, I'll say something uh, that I, I regret or I'm afraid that they'll say something that makes it worse. Or I, I'd just rather ignore it. I'd rather put it in the back. I'd rather not deal with it. But he says, go, first go, go to them, go to them directly. He, he doesn't say some things. He, he doesn't say, uh, first go to somebody else and tell them how mad you are with this person. He doesn't say, uh, do that. Don't do that, which is what we typically do, right? I, I, don't elbow anybody, all right? Just receive it, all right? <laughs> he didn't say go to somebody else. He doesn't say post about it online, all right? He, he doesn't say avoid it. He doesn't say stew on it. He doesn't say, well, well, why should I go to them? They're the one that did it, and they should come to me. Why do I always have to be the one to go to them? They should be coming this direction. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, first, go. First, go. First, go. I think 90% of conflict resolution is that. Just showing up for the conversation. Initiating the conversation. Now, listen, I understand and Jesus doesn't address this. I understand that sometimes you try to go to a person and they don't want to talk to you. They go, I'm not going to meet you. I'm not going to talk with you. I'm not going to return your phone calls. I mean, you know, you can only do what you can do, right? You should not, listen, do not bang down their door, all right? Uh, do, not do, do not stalk them, all right? Uh, don't do that, right? But you do as much as it depends on you. But he said, first go. You initiate. First go. Okay, here's step number three. First, check your heart. Number two, you, you talk to the person. Number three, you work to reconcile. Look at what he says in verse 24. Be reconciled. Circle those two words. Be reconciled. First go, then be reconciled. And reconciliation is not natural. Ne reconciliation is hard. It takes work. Would you agree with that? You ever, ever had to work through something with somebody? It is, it is tiring. It is, takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work to reconcile. Why? Because, well, I think there are a lot of reasons. One is reconciliation really requires honesty. I have to be honest with my hurts. I have to be honest with how I feel about the situation. I have to be honest with, with the impact that that person has made in my life. I have to be honest with my own uh, contribution to the conflict. Almost never is a conflict only one way. 
Usually there are two people that contribute to the conflict, so I have to be honest with my own part of the conflict. And that's hard to do. Uh, reconciliation requires uh, clarity. I have to work in reconciliation. I have to work to clarify what the problems are, to clarify what the offense was, and to clarify a way forward. And that's often very difficult to do. Usually we talk in lots of generalities. Well, you always do this, or you never do that, or, or you, you meant to do something like so, as if we know the intent and thought of every person. We don't know, honestly, what someone's intent or heart was. We think we might, but we don't know. Only God knows that. And, and so we, we talk in generalities and we talk in broad strokes when really reconciliation requires clarity for us to really be clear on a specific situation and, and what it would take to move forward and heal that situation. I found that a, a method called SBI is helpful. SBI, uh, Situation Behavior Impact. Uh, so let me just kind of illustrate it for you. Uh, let's say uh, you and I are uh, are at odds. I, I've got hardness of heart toward you. And I, I go up to you and say, hey, brother, I want to talk to you. And, and the situation was, that's the situation part. The situation was we were in the coffee uh, shop the other day. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that was yesterday on Tuesday morning at 730. We were in the coffee shop together. I remember. Yeah, that's the situation, right? The behavior, that's the B, the behavior part is you were wearing your UT shirt. All right, let's get back to the no anger and bitterness and resentment. <laughs> oh, man. And you were wearing your UT shirt, and I had my Texas Tech shirt on, and, and, and you kind of laughed. You, oh, hold on, hold on here. We're trying to get to reconciliation. <laughs> and you laughed at my Texas Tech shirt on, and uh, that was a behavior. That's a S situation, coffee shop behavior. You laughed at my shirt. I is, I really got my feelings hurt, all right? Over there. That hurt my feelings, you know, and, I, and uh, then I went home and I took my Texas Tech shirt off and I burned it. No, not really. But that's, that's a, see, that's the situation, that's the behavior, this is the impact on me. Now, that's not attacking, that's not saying, you meant to do that, or, or you're always doing that. No, no, I'm just dealing with the situation and the specific behavior and the impact that it had on me. But I'm telling you, when you use that, all of a sudden generalities become very clear and very specific. And the more clear you can become, and the more specific you can be, the greater the odds of reconciliation. Right? So reconciliation is hard because it takes a lot of honesty, and it takes a lot of work to get clarity, but it also takes a lot of humility to go to and work on reconciliation and to own your part of it and say, you know what, I really got super angry and I shouldn't have gotten that angry. You, I'm, I, I, said, I said these things to you that I shouldn't have or I, I screamed at you and I shouldn't have or I, I assumed this about you and I shouldn't have or, or to receive the, the forgiveness of another person. That takes humility too, to say I I've accept your forgiveness and I'm willing to clean slate and move forward. That, that takes humility. All of that takes humility. And I think that's why reconciliation is so difficult. But Jesus said, listen, it starts with your heart. You have to check your heart. Is your heart right with God? You'll never get to this without starting there. It starts with the heart. Then you've got to talk to the person. You've got to go to them face to face. And then you have to work to reconciliation. And that takes work and that effort. And sometimes it takes multiple 
multiple times. And listen, you may say, there's no way I could ever do that. There's no way I could go to that person. There's no way I could work toward reconciliation. And that's why it's good to have other people. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus said it's good to invite other people into that. That's why you have pastors here to help you with that. That's why we have great Christian counselors that I encourage you to go to to help you work through some of these things and hurts from the past, to get you to a place of reconciliation. That is good for you. Those are resources for you that God has. And even here, we have deacons that have been trained in conflict uh, resolution. We have coach couples in our connect groups that are there to help you navigate this. We are doing everything we can as a church to help you to live at peace with people. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus or God's word tells us in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, are you doing everything to live at peace? Have you done everything possible to live at peace? He said, go, first go, be reconciled. And then he says, then come, then come offer your gift. Then come, once you've been reconciled to your brother or your sister, once you've been reconciled to your husband or your wife, once you've been reconciled to your kids or your parents, once you've been reconciled to that friend that you're angst with, when you're reconciled with that business partner, reconciled with that, that teammate on your team, reconciled with those parents at your school, reconciled to whatever the situation is, once you've been reconciled here, then come and offer your worship and God will receive it with joy. You've got to search your heart. You've got to go to the person. You've got to really work toward reconciliation and be quick and ready and eager to forgive. And then look at this last thing. Look at what he says here. Verse 25, do it quickly. Look at verse 25. He said, reach a settlement quickly for your adversary while you're on the way with him to court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid every last penny. What is he talking about? He's really giving an illustration. It was a very common illustration in Jesus' day. If you owed somebody money and you've got this conflict, hey, you owe me money. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. No, you don't. Eventually, okay, well, man, I'm going to take you to court. And when I take you to court, if you really are found to owe me money, they're going to put you in jail. So I'm taking you to court. We cannot reconcile this. I'm taking you to court. He said, if you were in that situation, would you not do everything possible as quickly as possible before you got to that courthouse? Yes, you would. You would do whatever it took. You would, you would negotiate. You would work. You would forgive. You would offer. You could do whatever it needed to to resolve it before you get there because once you get there, it's too late. Too much is at stake. So do it quickly, he says. Act quickly. That's the key word. And so I think what Jesus is telling us is, hey, if you know you're at angst with somebody, if you know that there's conflict, are you going to them? Are you working to reconcile? But listen, you must do it quickly. Don't wait. The same urgency you had if you were going to go to a courthouse, that's the same urgency you need to have here. Because why? Because so much is at stake. Too much is at stake. Your friendship is at stake. Your, your marriage is at stake. Your relationship with your kids is at stake. Your relationship at the office is at stake. The relationship on your team is at stake. Whatever the situation is, there's too much at stake for you to allow this to just continue to go unaddressed. 
So this is Jesus' strategy for conflict resolution. You see, reconciliation begins in the heart, right? It starts in the heart, and then it is lived out in our actions. And it starts with checking your own heart first, and then going to the person, and then working the work of reconciliation, and staying with it, and, and doing it in an urgent manner as to quickly resolve it so that you can be at peace with all people. I started off with this story about the alarm, right? The, the, the Amber Alert that went off. When, whenever you get an Amber Alert, and I'm sure all of you have probably experienced that at some point, you, you tend to do three things. First, you hear it, right? Then you see it, okay, it's an Amber Alert, and then you silence it. And then you go on about what you're doing. That's what most people do. That's what I'm begging you not to do this morning. I mean, you've, you've heard what God has said about conflict resolution. You have seen it right here. You've seen it. But don't silence it and go, well, I'm just not going to do that. There's no way I'll do that. Don't do that. Let the Spirit of God work in your heart to bring you to a place of living at peace with all people. After all, isn't that the, what the gospel is about? Isn't the gospel the gospel of reconciliation? I mean, the very reason why Jesus came was to reconcile us to God, that God created us to know him and live with him and walk with him in a, in a perfect and, and personal way. And yet we have gone our own way. We have left him. We have broken fellowship with him. We are, the Bible says we are at enmity with God because of our sin. And when Christ came, he came to reconcile us to God. That is the whole point of the gospel. How can we say we are people of the gospel? If we're ready to receive reconciliation from God, but not to be ministers of reconciliation with others. So if we're truly people that follow Jesus, if we're Jesus people, if we're gospel people, then we should be people that do whatever it takes to work toward reconciliation and peace. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? I recognize that what I've shared today may strike a tender note in your own heart. You, may, you could say, well, Craig, you don't know what's going on in my life. I, and that's, that, that's really true. I, I don't know. But I know that God knows. And I know he sees every heart and he sees every hurt. And even today, I have embraced members of our church with tears streaming down their face trying to work on um, a conflict with a family member or a friend that just creates a deep resonating hurt in their heart and that may be you but what I want you to know is that God is at work through his word even today in your heart to move you toward peace. And that is peace with others and at peace with him. And he is able to do what we cannot do. He is able to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. And so that really starts with your heart and it starts with your heart with him. 
So let me ask you, do you know him? Do you know, do you know Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? That's really where it starts. I mean, how, how can you really have reconciliation with others if you're not reconciled with God, who is the author of reconciliation, who is the author of peace? And maybe you have gone your own way and you've lost your way and you realize that, man, I can't have peace with other people if I don't have peace with God. But you can today. Maybe right now, right as I'm saying these words, you, you sense the Holy Spirit pulling at your heart, convicting your heart, even now that you've drifted far from God, that you do not know Him, and that that is really where the problem resides. It starts in the heart. Then I want to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus, to allow Him to clean you and purify your heart, to make you right with Him. I want to give you a chance to do that right now so if you say pastor that's what I want I want I want Christ to forgive me and come into my life just with your heads bowed nobody looking around just lift up your hand right now and say pastor pray for me I'm not going to call you out but I will see your hand and I will know that God's at work in your heart and I will lead you into prayer right where you're seated just lift up your hand right now pastor pray for me God's working in my heart pastor pray for me I need Jesus in my life pastor pray for me I, I, I need to be right with God lift it up right now God's moving your heart, lift it up. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Anybody else? All right. Okay, all right. Okay, thank you. Put your hand down. Then just uh, pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Today I choose to turn from my old way to follow you. Lord, thank you for your love and your forgiveness. And God, help me to love others and forgive them the same way. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. God, it's just so, always so rich, so relevant, so current to our life. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week that we will be people of reconciliation people that have been reconciled through Christ and people now that live out reconciliation in our own hearts and in our own lives and, and champion reconciliation with others. And Lord, when we go back to work, as we go back to school, as we go back to our neighborhoods and back to our busy lives that we have this week, God, I pray that we would go as, as sons and daughters of the King who are at peace with God and at peace with men and offer that peace to a hurting world. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said.